everyone. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hello. Today on the show, we are going to talk about the recent Murdaugh murders, a Southern scandal, which is a Netflix series. But we're also going to talk about the case because it was a breaking case as we were watching this, as this came out. And also just over the coming weeks, this is pre-recorded, of course. So there may have been more news since then, but we will talk about, you know, the verdict has already come out when we're recording this and the testimony has already been had. So we're going to discuss the Netflix series. The first thing I would just say is that it's a TV miniseries. It's on Netflix. It's only like two and a half hours long. There's only three episodes. And it's about these shocking tragedies that happened. And it's not just the murders that he was convicted of, which is of his uh, wife and son. At least, at least I believe that he mm-hmm. got uh, a life sentence from that. Not the death penalty, but life sentences. He may have long, gone for a long time. Yes. And he's already 63 years old. So he'll spend the rest of his life in prison. But it's also, but the, Documentary also details Stephen Smith's murder, Gloria Satterfield's murder, who was the housekeeper, mm-hmm. and Mallory Beach, who was murdered as well. Oh, so God. maybe all murdered by different people. It feels a little bit like it's a murder family, but after watching this, <laughs> but I can tell you that knowing what you know now, because all of this breaking news and the trial and everything's happened, watching the Netflix series for you if you don't know too much about it, it would be like foundational. It's a lot of the foundational and background information. There's interviews with the survivors. And so it would be more like, okay, now I know what happened. And now I can go on to read about the sort of true crime happenings that are happening right now. The, the, testimony that just happened and the verdict and all of that is that kind of what you would say about this doc i thought it was pretty good i mean yeah i, I think that's right i think the documentary for people who want to know more about and depending on who you're listening to it's either alex or alec they pronounce it both ways more specifically about him that's like the latter part of the doc and then other docs and other info go into him more specifically but i would agree that this really gives you the larger picture of the v- mysterious like yeah occurrences yeah of this family and also just these very strange family dynamics systemically as a as a psychotherapist it was it's a very interesting family to yeah kind of dive into yeah if you don't know anything about this case it's you think the whole thing the whole story is about alex who by the way is a son of the man the father who was eventually convicted of different murders. But you think, watching the first episode, that this story is all about oh, Alex. Paul. What's Paul's that? the son. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Paul's the son. Sorry, you think it's all about Paul. Like, that's the whole first episode right. is about Mallory Beach's murder and Paul being an alcoholic and them suspecting him of murdering Mallory. And then they never really find out. According to this documentary, right. they never really find out. So there's probably more to come with that revelation, perhaps. There's just a lot. And then there's all these suspicions about Buster's going on. Buster is another one of the sons and what he's what's going on with oh, him. Geez. And yeah. then also with the mom, apparently the whole town called the mom, you know, uh, murder Murda or something because the housekeeper fell down the stairs mm-hmm. and everybody suspected that 
Like, why do people think like this whole family, (laughs) you know, and then I don't know. It's like, whoosh. And clearly something's up. If everyone in the town thinks this whole family is a problem. Yeah. I mean, their whole reputation was based on like, oh, you know, they make people disappear. Like there was just all this folklore and like, I don't know what's true and what's not true. Obviously this man went to prison for these murders, but the rest of it is just so very bizarre out out of pocket, man. And also just to highlight for those of you who are haven't yet caught up on the story is, I mean, an incredibly affluent family of generations of wealth and uh, generations of being in the legal system there. It's a family of attorneys and Alex's father and grandfather. These were big people in this area. I think it all was in North Carolina and so a lot of power and privilege. They had to too. take his like grandfather's pictures down off the wall in the, in the, in the jury room, in, you know, in the courtroom. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> before his trial, like that's yeah. how esteemed they were in the world. And that's how this family fell from grace, basically. Yeah. As they were. The only person powerful. who is alive and out of, and out of prison is Buster. The yep. rest of the family is either dead or in prison. And that is crazy. I know. Including the housekeeper. I know. Unbelievable. Like everybody just spontaneously exploded. Like it just, but I thought the, I mean, you know, if you want to know more about the story and you want to get kind of a grounding around what this is all kind of based on and where it was going, because this, this obviously doesn't, it just came out. So it doesn't cover all of the like trial and the rest and all that stuff. So, but it's, I think a good foundation to watch if you decide to view more of Alex's stuff, because it gives you like a background of everything. Yeah. So Alex Murdaugh was convi- is convicted of killing his wife and son. And, you know, I, I wanted to, before we get into, I know that Kathy listened to some of the testimony and watched more of the trial than I did, but I wanted to just throw this in because we are animal lovers, that their dog Bubba, although not, you know, not a witness and not an evidence you know, not a piece of evidence, but apparently the dog's presence at the crime scene played a pivotal role in convicting the now disbarred attorney because, well, Alex was, just so you know, sentenced to life in prison without parole uh, just in March. So (laughs) Bubba reportedly lives now with the former housekeeper whose name is Blanca. And and there's- Not the dead housekeeper. No, no, no. The dead house, the deceased- uh, housekeeper is Gloria Satterfield, but the new, the replacement housekeeper uh, now has the dog. And there are pictures on the internet of the dog and living well. Cause you know how we are as a society. What happened to the dog? Like we're, there's all these things that are happening yeah. <laughs> and we're, and we're just, I always think about that too. <laughs> I know. I know. The dog is okay. I know. Probably better off. Honestly. Uh, yeah, maybe so. Although, you know, dogs just love their owners unconditionally. So they just know that they miss the person that was taking care mm. of them, of course. But, you know, Maggie and Paul were found fatally shot and her with a rifle, apparently, and him with a shotgun. They were all murdered. And then ultimately Alex stated that he wasn't there. And he was the one that called 911, found the bodies an hour later, and stated that he wasn't there, that he had just come home. And it turns out he he was there. And I think that was one of the big 
key parts of, you know, there wasn't a lot of physical evidence in this case. Mm -mm. You know, they used telephone calls and text messages and videos and, you know, his testimony, Alex's testimony to try and figure out like where his whereabouts were. But ultimately they figured out that he lied about being there because uh, there was blood splatter on his shirt. Yeah, there was that. And then his son, Paul, who was, they found his cell phone, you can hear Alex's voice moments before his son was shot. And one of the biggest things that came up during testimony was Alex's admitting that until trial, he had lied about being at the crime scene. And it's like, how do you really get out of that one? Yeah. You know, he was there and he kept saying, I was at the kennels. I wasn't anywhere near. I was, you know, whatever. And well, and that's the thing, like, I guess this in during this testimony, like he later admitted joining his wife and son at the kennel mm-hmm. where he said he wasn't or mm-hmm. whatever. And, you know, snatching a chicken away from Bubba, the dog. And <laughs> you can hear his voice in the background saying, come here, Bubba, come here, Bubba. So that's yeah. the what you're talking oh, about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why all the stories are sort of saying, you know the dog played a role <laughs> because if Bubba wasn't acting up with the chicken, we may not have heard that. We may not I mean, have heard it. But also there's also the blood evidence. There was splatter on his shirt. So yeah. there's that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This, this guy, when, when you really listen to when, if you get a chance, if anyone wants to listen to the testimony, cause it's available and I didn't listen to all of it, but I listened to the first day, probably like at least like total. I probably listened to about an hour of his testimony that and, was enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would, I would listen to it because they were streaming it on MSNBC. And I, when I was in the car, I would just have it on. Mm-hmm. You know, when, they, when you, someone testifies in their own case, attorney, they had a couple attorneys on there talking about how this is not really a great, we really, the attorneys really tried to, to deter someone from testifying in their own case as a defendant. And one of the things that I noticed about Alex's testimony that is a a big giveaway is um, way too much detail. Okay. People don't have to get up there and give every little detail unless they're trying to paint something in a way that they believe could manipulate the jury into believing the opposite. So that was a big thing. The other thing that he did, or he at least attempted to do well, but people saw right through him. And I was looking at some of the juror responses about like one of the guys, I think his last name was Moyer. He was one of the jurors and he said, I knew this guy was guilty the second he walked into the courtroom. I saw that article. Yeah. (laughs) And what what he, what he attempted to do, and I don't know if this was coaching from his own attorney or just he being an attorney himself, he knew how to do this was he spoke using a lot of Southern colloquialisms. Oh boy. To try to relate or something. And to not sound like an attorney. Uh, so he wanted yeah. to sound like a father. He wanted to sound like a family man. He wanted That's to sound very, like a Southern gentleman. That's very George Bush Jr. of him. Yeah. You know, he, he presented as common folk. He volunteered for testimony, which is never a good strategy. He lied about being at the crime scene, but they, you know, the, his reason for getting up there and testifying is he thought that he would be able to contribute to something that would sway the jurors. But it's usually a very, very bad tactic and sometimes a sign of guilt because most defendants will not want to testify in their own trial and attorneys don't want them to testify in their own trial. So yeah, um, they get too caught up and, yeah. and, you know, they, and I think also because even when people, 
even when their own lawyer believes the person is innocent, they realize that once they're on the stand, there's so many ways to look guilty, even if you were innocent. That's right. In other words, this guy looked guilty as hell yeah. on the stand. Whether he was guilty or not, he looked guilty as hell. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel like there's so many opportunities for someone like that to look guilty when they're not. And I think that's a, one of the many reasons why people don't want you to get on the trial, get on the stand, sorry, when you're defending yourself. So I want to briefly just give a, a timeline of some of these deaths, sure. just so people can understand if you don't know this case, just how flipping strange it was. So in, on February 23rd, 2019 is where that's the year that a lot of this starts getting crazy with this family. It was so four years later, Alex goes to testimony. So in 2019, his son, Paul, who at this point, if you watch the documentary, you realize is just a really troubled kid. I mean, he is, and it's too hard to even, you know, try to figure out, was this kid just severely conduct disordered? Was he traumatized? Was it a combination of things? But he had a drinking problem. He was aggressive. He abused his girlfriend and he was excessive in every way, shape and form of his life. He was, he sort of controlled all of his friends because of his money and his privilege. And as much as they loved him, he was extra and they were tired of him. So on one evening, I think it was around like 4th of July or something, they all went on Paul's boat and he was wasted and he wanted to drive the boat. And one of their friends, one of the girls ends up dying in the crash. Right away, Alex gets to the crime scene and they just start to cover it up, cover it up, cover it up. And, and everyone's just like, no one's worried about this girl's body who's still missing at the time. Yeah, they characterize the family right out of the gate oh as, you know, God. covering up for their son. Covering it up. And you Which can hear them. Like a stereotypical rich family trope, right? That's right. That was really happening. A few years after that, we have uh, his, his other son, Buster, who's kicked out of college for plagiarism. And there's some suspicion that his really Buster's really good friend, Stephen Smith, that they are actually intimately involved. And imagine this is a white privileged family in the South and nobody else in their sphere is homosexual, I would guess, based on what they were talking about. So there's some speculation that maybe there's this love affair going on. Next thing we know, Stephen Smith is dead. Well, and that actually happened before the Mallory Beach murder. Oh, that it was? happened in 2015. Oh, so what okay. ended up happening was they, they this murder with Mallory happened and then there were these suspic they suspicions back. from back and then they were like looking at all these other murders because was Gloria, Gloria before Satterfield that too? was before yeah. too in 2018. And now there's articles actually about like the, I think it's the patriarch. I'll look it up while you're talking, but the, like mm -hmm. the patriarch or the family grandpa or dad or somebody mm -hmm. had a suspicious death yes. as well back in the day. So it's like the Mallory Beach murder or accident. I don't know which it was reflected on all these things that's right and that one i would guess was more likely manslaughter case i don't think he would have crashed the boat trying to kill everybody but himself yeah. i think that was recklessness but where the crime was wasn't trying to cover it all up and try in the and the murdoz were trying to manipulate the case to state that one of the other boys was driving the boat 
Yeah, they lied the whole time. Lied the whole so time. Now and then it became like, well, did someone push her? Did someone like right. we just really don't? We just don't know. We just don't have any idea what happened. That's right. To what Shannon was saying is so. Prior to this, we had Stephen Smith's murder, and then Gloria Stratterfield, which was 2018. They started to look back and go, you know, did she really fall down the stairs? Because th- there's a lot of murders already attached to this family, and then four, three years later, in 2022, his wife and his son are murdered. Yeah, I think it's 2021, but whatever, either yeah. way, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. And then he, 2021, the day, you're right. The day that they were murdered is the day that Alex's law firm confronted him, accusing him of pocketing $800,000 in legal fees. So he was charged with dozens of financial crimes. Oh, so, that's right. His own law firm was like, you're yeah, done. like that day, apparently the day that oh, he yeah murdered his wife and son was the day that they confronted him about all these crimes and that played into the narrative of the prosecutors that's right crime they they and then because because not only did they accuse him of 800k that for that day but then the prosecutors have since accused him of stealing like nine almost nine million dollars and he confessed under oath to many of those crimes, including embezzling like almost four thousand, almost four million dollars in 2019, the same year that his son Paul was charged with drunkenly crashing into the bo- a boat into the bridge, killing Mallory, who was 19, by the way. Right. Alex maintains that he believed that his son was killed by an unknown assailant or assailants because of his involvement in the crash. Like that's, you know, he's maintaining that what, story. This is, this is like the the Kennedys where it's like one tragedy after another. I know, but, it, you know, you can see how the prosecutors painted this very effective story of like, this was all happening to you and you snapped or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't listen to the trial like you did, but. Yeah, I mean, uh his testimony was interesting, but he, yeah, it's just his whole delivery. So too much detail. Too much detail. Too colloquialisms. much Yeah, it, it was, he was putting on a show for everybody and you didn't have to be trained in, in any sort of legal profession or psychological to profession to notice. <laughs> you know, the jury was like, Mm-mm, yeah, th- this just doesn't add up. So I, I think they, they deliberated. It was pretty short and to the point and he was found guilty on all charges and, they didn't, uh, you know, waste any time letting him know. Yeah, I think the other thing that the prosecution did really effectively is that they they really highlighted all of the lies that Alex had told sure. about the money, about where he was, and then he wasn't. And, you know, they really leaned into that so that the jury wouldn't trust him. And then he's getting on the stand, like you said, and doing things to try to get that trust and I'm imagining because growing up with wealth and power and privilege that he maybe thought he was successful at that or that that would be a successful thing. Because honestly, if any of any of these murders are true and uh, can be attributed to his family members, they gotten away with so much. Like, why wouldn't he think that he could get away with more? That's right. Yeah, that's right. At one point, the uh, I was reading in the New York Times that at one point the lead prosecutor, Creighton Waters, held up a stack of papers relating to clients whom Mr. Murdoch stole from and said, every single one of these you had to sit down and look somebody in the eye and convince them that you were on their side 
when you were not, correct? Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's stuff like that where you're sitting here trying to convince us and looking us in the eye and trying to convince us and you do that for a living and we don't believe you, you know? Yeah. So it was really effective, obviously. It was. Because there wasn't a ton of physical evidence. No, there wasn't. I mean, there were these... There was this lie that he was there, but that doesn't necessarily connect him to the crime. Even even the blood spatter on his shirt isn't proof positive no, that he killed that them. That he actually killed them. Right. Yeah. So it, there was not a ton of, of physical evidence. It was all very much based on the fact that no one could trust him. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he, he admitted apparently that, I admit that I, wait, what does he say? What I admit is I misled them, meaning the people that he convinced, you know, financially and all that. I did wrong, and then I stole their money. So surviving relatives uh, were among Murdo's most ardent defenders to a point. You know, it must be so. I mean, his brothers are in the, I think his brothers are in the documentary, as I remember. Friends and relatives said Mr. Murdo was devastated by the killings if you hear him on the 911 this is alex if you hear him on the 911 call he sounds elevated he sounds freaked out if it wasn't premeditated for many many weeks if it was a if it was a spontaneous that day under a lot of pressure ends up killing his wife and son then he's going to sound that way whether he killed them or not. He's going to be elevated and freaked out and and all of that. And if it was an acting job, then it was an acting job. Right. Hmm. But Buster Murdoch still supports him. His dad, his dad, of course, you know, he testified even on the stand that his father was destroyed and heartbroken after the killings. And, you know, he, he also testified as, I, I don't know if he just testified as a character witness or what, because I didn't uh, watch the whole trial. I don't know. But. I mean, I can only imagine what it's like to be the rest of that family, the extended family and the cognitive dissonance maybe that's happening and just so much death in that family and that oh. nuclear family and then the extended family just being like trying to make sense of it and trying to, I don't know if they're sticking up for him, but. I, I saw some of the interviews with the extended family and it's mm-hmm. just like, God, that's horrible. I would to know that's like your uncle or your cousin or your brother or your, it's just, mm-mm. no, it's awful. So you can go online and read cell phone data and, you know, all sorts of bits and pieces because they relied a lot on him not being trustworthy, him being a liar and all of the circumstantial evidence. And then they had a few key, key pieces of putting him, at the scene of the murder. And other than that, mm, I don't see a whole lot of a whole lot else, but that, you know, that's enough to get you convicted. Sure. I enjoyed the documentary and I would recommend if you don't know anything about the case and you want to sort of learn the trajectory, because listen, this is not just about Alex Murdoch. This is a family. You know, this community was like, Oh, we knew it. Oh yeah. <laughs> because They're they like, have finally been saying this whole family was trash. You know, they have been yeah. saying that this family was doing wrongful deeds for so long. You know, the whole community was like, I knew it. <laughs> right. <laughs> the neighbors. Oh, I knew something was going on. That's right. There. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. <laughs>